0: Welcome to the Vivid Church Podcast. Wherever you're listening from today, it's our hope that this message would help you reflect the light of Jesus' life for all to see. Now, here's Pastor Justin Reimer. Unbelievable. Can we give it over to Pastor Dustin one more? For those of you who don't know, Dustin also works for the city of Vancouver in, uh, in... Engineering, so ice rinks and pool maintenance. So, when he talks about water tables, he means something you don't think. He knows more about water tables than we will ever know. Unbelievable! Why don't you stay standing for a minute? I believe God wants to speak to us. Stay standing. Stay standing. We're gonna we're gonna do it this way, okay? Uh, we're gonna set the scene, and then at the very end, there's gonna be a couple points. The points will be like the gift, right? But but when it comes to Christmas, you set up a tree. You wrap your gifts and you decorate. So I'm just gonna give you like just give you a warning. We're gonna set the stage. And then when it comes time to open the gift, it's gonna be real quick. Okay. So I just want to tell you that. So when when I come to this point in the message where I say, okay, now let me give you four quick points, you'll be like, Oh my goodness, that was just the intro. How, what, why, where, no, no, no. It's just gonna be like opening a gift, it's gonna be real quick. So just letting you know that. Okay, I believe this with all my heart that that Jesus wants to speak to us today. I wouldn't be here if I didn't think that uh, as, as awesome as each one of you people is. Uh, we we could find somewhere else to hang out. We could find other things to do. But when we gather in church, we really believe God wants to to speak with us. And, and God doesn't come here to observe. Imagine that if God's like, yeah, I'll, I'll come check it out. And God's like sitting in the back with his arms crossed. Like, I don't know about these people. But no, look, like God presences himself to move in our midst and to speak and to act. I think that's true. And uh, I think it's about to happen. There's some people in the room, maybe you're checking it out. You got your arms crossed saying, I don't know about this. I bet you God's about to speak to you too. Why don't we pray and expect that together? Jesus, I invite you to, to speak to our hearts. It'd be a miracle if you could use, uh, you know, some simple humble thoughts and do something in our hearts that shifts the way we see ourselves and see the world around us. That'd be a miracle. And uh, we ask for nothing less. Pray that that would take place today as we open your word. In your name we pray, and everybody said, amen. Amen. Why don't you grab your seats this morning, and I'm excited. I'm excited to be together, excited for uh, what is ahead for us. This Christmas season is going to be special, It's going to be exciting. Uh, Pastor Dustin, did you talk about Christmas together at Britannia? Oh, man, it's exciting. I, I heard just this morning we've got a coffee truck coming. So food truck, yeah, some good friends of mine, they got a coffee truck. They're rolling up and so there's going to be free coffees and and uh, stroop waffles for everyone. It's going to be amazing. So we're just we're just going to have a good time, guys. It's going to be amazing. Bring somebody with you. I'm excited. I remember uh first walking uh past that building and peeking my head in and seeing an empty room thinking we should do church there and then dreaming together and praying together, we should see this room filled and I think we're going to do that. At Christmas. How many people know sometimes the things you dream for uh, take longer than you expect? Sometimes the things you dream for come quicker than you expect. Anybody experience that in your life at some point too? Both are true, but don't stop dreaming, okay? Don't stop believing. Man, we should have had a a band backing me up. Don't stop believing. Hey, today I want to share some thoughts with you. And like I promised, I'm going to set the stage in just like a lot of the uh, the ritual around Christmas, the setting of the stage takes longer than the event itself. Are you with me? How many people already have a tree up in their house? Okay. How many people have already got some sort of decor up in their place? How many people have already started Christmas shopping? Awesome. Okay. So we got we got a we got a group of people who is making some preparations. How many people it is your tradition to do it all late and to scramble and say, never do this again? Anybody? Awesome. Okay, my people, awesome. And uh, and so there's like traditions around Christmas, and, and traditions are different, maybe depending on the family you came from, the culture you came from, uh, you know, maybe just the circumstances in your life up until this point. You got different nuances around how you do Christmas. But for most of us, for most of us, there would be at least some part of Christmas would be commemorated by giving. Would you agree? For most of us, for most of us. And, and for some of us, maybe we're like, Christmas is not about the gifts. But actually, if you were to look back at the narrative of the Bible, God's gift of his son, Jesus, Christmas really has always been about giving. And, uh, and so today I want to share a couple thoughts on giving as we prepare to, to just have a great Christmas. And, and you know this because Pastor Dustin mentioned it. Next week is our Heart for the House offering. It's this one time of year where together we give with it. Did you talk about it? Awesome. Where we give with expectation. If he didn't, I would be like, get back up here and share it because it's important. We're given to accelerate the vision of Vivid Church across this city. This is not an offering to like keep the lights on and, and just for maintenance. This is for mission. It's for going, going after what God has called us to. And so we're excited to give in that way. But for each of us, giving will be a part of our Christmas. And so, you know, in Isaiah 9, 6, uh, the prophet Isaiah is talking forward to the coming of Jesus, and he says this, for to us, a child is born, to us, a son is given. Can everyone say given? Oh, come on, everybody. Can we say given? Given. To us, like a gift for us, the gift of Jesus, a son, has been given. Christmas has always been about a gift. It has always been about a gift from God to humanity. It's always been about God's generous spirit towards people. And I think like I I would like to say I share a lot of qualities with God. And over time, I believe I will share more godly qualities because that's the the nature of sanctification that as you walk with Jesus, you become more like him. But there's one trait I know that I'm already similar to God in. Okay, I'm just confident. I'm just calling it out right now. When I'm given a gift, I like to drop hints. Anybody else? Like, when I'm giving, I get excited about giving gifts, and I start dropping hints to people. And uh, it's why, by tradition, I do all my Christmas shopping on December 23rd. Uh, it's the greatest day to Christmas shop, by the way. If you don't know yet, come, come with me. It's the best. If you like people watching, December 23rd is where it's at. We got frazzled last-minute people. You got stressed out, you know, point-of-sale people. And now, because everyone shops online, all the Boxing Day stuff is already rolling out before Christmas. Fantastic. I love December twenty third. But the reason I love it is because it helps me not drop too too many hints. Like like I would be kind of like, hey, you know, Jennifer, do you want to know what I'm getting you for Christmas? And and she rarely says yes. But if she said yes, I'd be like, Well, I can't tell you. Can't tell you, but I'll give you a hint, you know? And if she says no, I'm like, really? And you know, I, I just I love I just would tend to give gifts early. I just like that moment of experienced bliss where where I experience what the Bible says is more blessed to give than receive. And and I, I'm the kind of, give, when I give, I'm like, you should open it right now. And people are like, I don't know if I want to open it right now. I'm like, oh, but right now would be so awesome. Like, I just got, anyone else like that, you want to see, like it's that moment of experience. And God is similar. God had planned the coming of Jesus since the beginning of time. And for hundreds of years, he'd been dropping little hints. Like through Isaiah, when he says, hey, to us, a son is born. A child is given. And everyone's like, ooh, a gift? I like gifts. And and, and this gift, it was like 400 years before Jesus would even be born, and Isaiah's already talking about it, already getting people amped, getting people excited about this gift. And the gift of God, it says this, the government will be on his shoulders. Think about that for a minute, people. Maybe you're here today and you feel like the weight of the world is on your shoulders. The feeling might be real. The reality just isn't. The weight of the world is not on your shoulders. It's on Jesus. Like you feel weighed down, but the weight of the world is on his shoulders. The government is on his shoulders. He has the power. He makes the decisions. He's still in control. He's still on the throne. The weight of the world is upon his shoulders. And then describing this gift, it's like the, the gift that we all need. How many people have like a gift they might want? Anybody? We, we, we say like all I want for Christmas and we, we speak to this, hey, I'm giving you a gift this year. What do you want? How many people in the room, your list families? You come from a family where people make lists of what they want. Okay. How many people you're like, ah, we're not a list family. You got to know me. You got to know me. You should know better by now. That's not my size, right? That's not my preference. That's always the risk is the size picking, trying to nail the size, right? And, and so, so God, He doesn't just give the gift we want, He gives the gift we need. He said, let me describe to you this gift in Jesus, this person of Jesus who's a gift for humanity. Here's what what he'll be like. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor. Jesus will give perspective. Jesus will give wisdom. How many people in the room, you say, I I could use a little more perspective in my life? Like I could use some counsel in my life. I could use some answers. I, I got some questions. I don't know exactly how this thing is coming together. I need some perspective. Well, Jesus comes to bring perspective he's a wonderful counselor the bible also says this he's a mighty god how many people could use a little more power in your life like a little bit of power working on your behalf you're like i just like i need some doors to open and i don't think i can force these open well the bible says this that jesus can open doors that no man can close and he can close some doors that no man can open i think we need both are you with me the Bible also says this, that there's this interplay that takes place between our faith and God's power, where if we have faith, we can speak to a mountain, that it be moved, and that mountain will fall into the sea. That's some power. So Jesus comes so we can have some perspective, because we need it, so we can have some power, because we need it. Then it says this, he's the everlasting father, the everlasting father. He brings provision. Like, like one of the mandates, the roles of a father is to provide, is to care for the basic needs. Like I try to care for more than just the basic needs, but, but a lot of what happens happens behind the surface and the kids don't even notice it. Are you with me? Like, like I don't know how many times the kids have come and been like, Dad, we just want to thank you for paying the gas bill. That was really nice of you. That, that's good of you, Dad. It, it's, they don't need to either because that's my job. That's my role is provision. And the Bible says this, that God is an everlasting Father, meaning he will always provide for our needs. Even the ones that are happening behind the surface that we don't even know he's doing. Like, like, I'm so thankful for what I see God doing, but I realize more and more the older I get that he's doing a lot of things I'm not even aware of. Are you with me? Like, in those dreams that sometimes take longer than you expect, I didn't even realize what God was doing. Have you ever looked back and went, oh, oh, he's good. Are you with me? Like, oh, that didn't go down the way I thought it would. Thank God I'm not God. Because he's the everlasting father. He's providing for our needs. And then it says this, he's the prince of peace. Like like the role of the king was to make decisions. The role of the prince was to execute those decisions. Meaning this, that Jesus is the dispenser of peace. He gives peace to whoever needs peace. How crazy is that? That in this gift that God gave, it's exactly what we need. Perspective and power and provision, and peace. And they just all happen to start with the letter P, God is good. It's unbelievable. And then it says this, and of the increase of his government and of his peace, there'll be no end. Meaning that Jesus is still doing these things. This is a hint that God dropped hundreds of years before Jesus was born. And it was seen in the, the, the Christmas narrative. And it keeps on playing out in our lives today, this gift that we really desperately need of perspective and power and provision in peace is exactly what God had in mind at Christmas. So let me tell you a story about uh, from the, the, the Christmas narrative that I think probably gets misrepresented. And I, I wouldn't dare to say today that I could accurately represent it in its totality and you know, undo maybe some of the, the myths or the fantasies that we've built around it. But I want to highlight one little portion of the Christmas story as it pertains to the giving of gifts. And in order to do so, I really need to set the scene for you. Uh, and this will be the part that I, I mentioned that will be more about like the décor It'll be more about the, the backdrop and the decorations and then the the points of this message at the end. They're just like opening a gift really quick, really easy. You can go enjoy it somewhere else, okay? Let me set the scene for you. So like hundreds of years prior, Isaiah had been, been dropping hints. He wasn't the only one, but that was a pretty good and descriptive hint that there's a gift given in the person of a child, and this child will have the weight of the world on his shoulders, and he can handle it, and, uh, and what he brings is exactly what you need, perspective and provision and, and power and peace. And over the, the course of the, the hundreds of years that would follow, there were four empires that rose and fall. The first empire was called the Babylonians. The Babylonians were pretty vicious people. The Babylonians were were pretty violent people. And when they came in and removed God's people from from their land, they didn't do it gently, you could say. They, they moved people where they wanted to. They executed who they needed to. You're like, I did not come to church for a history lesson. Stay with me. It's going to get good, okay? So the Babylonians, they, they rose and And When the Babylonian Empire came through Jerusalem, which is where Isaiah would have made this prediction, by the way, uh, they they chose the best and the brightest. They chose like the the people who stood out the most. And one of the people they chose to bring to the capital of Babylon was a, a guy by the name of Daniel. Okay, Daniel was excellent. Daniel was wise. Daniel, the Bible even goes so far as to say was handsome. Do we have any Daniels in the room? Daniel, he, he came to Babylon and, and much like many of the people who were brought from their foreign lands, they picked the best and the brightest and, and they educated them there. And the Bible says of Daniel that he actually rose in prominence through the, the, like, through this empire, the Babylonian empire. And he was put over a, a group of people who were known uh, for, for magic, like magic in the Bible. Yes. I'm going to prove it to you in a sec. In fact, he was put over a group of people that were described as the Magi. Daniel became the, the leader of the Magi. And the Magi were were from a a people group called the Medes. You're like, I did not come for history. This is just the decor, guys. It's just the ornaments. Stay with me. And so they were from a group of people called the Medes, and they were within that group of people. uh, They were like the priestly order. So they were the people who were responsible for the, the propagation of the religious beliefs of the Medes. They were known specifically for their mystical powers or for their magic, they were like sorcerers, like wizards, you could say, and uh, and so they had like the ability to interpret dreams and do do tricks, and it, like they were they were those people, and so they came into Babylon, and, and the the. The ruler of Babylon brought the best and the brightest, and so amongst them were this group called the Magi, and then he met Daniel. He's like, whoa, Daniel is better than the Magi. Like the Magi, they're good, but Daniel, he's the leader of those people because he knows stuff they don't know. He's He's got like insight they don't have. He seems to be tapped into a different sort of source, and you can read about the excellence of Daniel where King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, and Daniel's like, here's what the dream meant, and then it happened. Like Daniel's got this insight because of a relationship with the living God god. So you've got the magi who believed there was one god they just didn't really know who or how or what or you know how to experience it. And so they believed there was one god and then there's Daniel who knew the living god. The magi, one of their their primary ways of of functioning within their sorcery was looking to the stars and it's where uh, at that time the science uh, of astrology uh, or astronomy and the the art or mysticism of astronomy just sort of connected. And so everything had a sign and a symbol and they were doing their best to tr- just try to figure out who created us, why were we created, what are we here for, and what's this all about? Any Like, does it sound kind of like some people in our time? Does it sound kind of like maybe the human condition? We're going like, why? And for what? And who and where and when and what? Why? And so there's this Magi, this group of people who were known for their wisdom, for their mystical power. And Daniel, who's better than them, is is the leader of the Magi. Kind of cool, right? Daniel, he knew that there was a Messiah coming. Daniel talks about it. He predicts about it. He, he instructs them about it. He's not shy about it whatsoever, so much so that he's willing to be thrown in a den of lions. You can read this in the book of Daniel. You can also read it in ancient historical books, and they mesh up. And here's Daniel thrown in, into a lion's den for the God that he believed in, and God who, got, who saw him out of that lion's den shut the lion's mouth. It's great story, just not a Christmas story, so we'll move on. Okay, Babylonian Empire Falls, it's replaced by the medo Persian Empire. So people from the Medes, like where the Magi were from, and, and the Persians, they came into power. Their empire was also pretty vicious. Their empire had slightly different opinions and slightly different views, but the Magi were, were the type of people who could pivot, like they could sense... Hey, things are shifting a little bit. Let's just pivot. We'll keep on doing the things we do, but we can adopt the political customs of the time because we want to stay in this position of power. Magi, they, like, they, were, they were shrewd. You know. They were like great, uh, like great unionized workers who figured out a way. They're like, we're going to find a way to make this thing work. And so the, the emperor of the Persian Empire, he decided everyone under my empire, which was like the known world, should all believe the same thing. And the Magi were like, great idea. We'll, we'll help them with that. And so the Magi continued to have this role of prominence. Then there came the rise of the, the Greek empire. Am I losing anybody? We got like three historical people like this is so cool. Everybody is like, just get to that part you said it. that was at the end. It's coming. So the Greek Empire rose. Now, the Greek Empire, it was not the same. It did not believe in one god. The Greek Empire had their pantheon of gods. Alexander the Great conquered the whole world. And, and, and in that, it was like, hey, everyone's just going to believe kind of different things. We're just trying to figure out the best of the things we believe. And and there was like the city of Athens where there was even a shrine to a god who was unknown. They're like, in case we missed one out of all these gods, let's just put up a shrine here to a god we don't even know. And And... The, the magi continued to sort of pivot in that culture, like, cool. Like, you, 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 you believe in a lot of other gods. So we're just going to kind of revise our role a little bit and we will be advisors. Like, if you need just a little bit of extra juice, you need a little bit of extra insight. Like, we've been around a long time. We're an ancient people. We believe a lot of things. We understand stars. And so they were able to fit in that context as well. And then ultimately the Greek empire gave way to the Roman Empire, okay? How many people remember grade 12 history? You're talking about the rising and falling. Okay. Roman Empire comes in. Now, The Roman Empire literally spread across the entire known world. The seat of power was in in the city of Rome. But, But within that vast empire, there was all these different people groups, all these different clusters of people. And as long as they paid tribute to Rome, Rome's like, yeah, you be you. That's okay. We're still in charge. We know we're the best. And when you need to be reminded, we'll remind you that we're the best. But in the meantime, you do your thing. And so there was like this Western way of thinking all in and around Europe. And then there was an Eastern way of thinking that was in in what would be referenced now often as the, the Middle East. We would call it maybe the ancient Near East. And right in the middle was this area, like present-day Israel, where, where Isaiah at one point gave that prophecy, and it was like, like out of this place, a king's going to come. And it was just this little region in between, which was often like this buffer between Eastern thinking and Western thinking. You still with me? Okay, there was, there was conflict between the two. A constant, a constant uh, rumor that the East would rise up and, and try to like, push Rome back. Because the empire's prior had been from the east, right? We know the Babylonians and the medo Persians were from the east. Then the Greeks came in. The Romans followed them. And there was just this constant rumbling. One day the east is going to rise back up and push their way back. And in the middle was this little, little, little area of land. Now, this area of land had a governor whose name was Herod. Okay? This is a long history lesson, but it's going to get good. His name was Herod. And Herod's, uh, like, like his, his makeup was one of paranoia. Herod was incredibly paranoid that the east would come and dominate or if they got too, too rowdy that the west would come and dominate and either way they'd be caught in the crossfire. So Herod got in a boat, went to Rome, asked the emperor of Rome, hey, I need more authority if I'm going to buffer these people. There's a whole bunch of angry people there, but if you give me more authority, I can be in charge and I'll make sure nothing bad happens. So the emperor said, sure, like what, what, what title are you thinking? He goes, I, I'm going with king." Great. You can be king of the Jews. Like, yay. Awesome. You can be king of like a little group of rowdies in a small little strip of land in between here and the east. Go for it. And so the emperor's in charge. The king's got his little like demi-kingdom. But he was so paranoid that history says like he was always plotting a murder. Herod, like he murdered his brother-in-law to make sure he kept his wife in line. then he murdered his mother-in-law. He murdered his advisors. He didn't like two of his sons, so he murdered them. Then a third one started to get rowdy, so he murdered him. In fact, the Bible says this, that Herod, when he was about to die, had all of the chief officials in his whole kingdom arrested and said, on the day I die, slaughter them all. Because no one will mourn my death, but there better be mourning on the day that I die. Like this guy was next level bad. Next level paranoid. Meanwhile, remember the Magi? Okay, awesome, Brett, thank you. Remember the Magi? So the Magi, they had pivoted again. And the only role really that these the, the Magi had in that time in the east, it was in an area called the Parthen Empire, which was kind of like not really an empire, but they thought they would be and they wanted to be. And the role of the Magi, these wise, mystical, ancient Politically significant people who had one day been led by a guy named Daniel who was from Israel. The group, the role of the Magi was simply this. They were appointed or, or called to appoint kings. <laughs> so cool. They were kingmakers. That was their actual role, was the, the appointment of new royalty. And they had appointed a king in the Parthian Empire, and this king had been so inept that they deposed him. And so they were at that point in history kingless. And into the, that setting, we read this story. Check it out. Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, remember? Herod? Magi came from the east to Jerusalem. They asked, where is the one who is to be born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we've come now to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them, where is the Messiah to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophets had written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are no by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler, and out of you a shepherd for the people of Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly, and he found out from them the exact time that the star had appeared. He then sent them to Bethlehem. He said, Go search out carefully for this child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him, slash murder him. Verse 9, after they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star that they had once seen rose again until it stopped right over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed on coming to the house. They saw a child with his mother Mary. They bowed down to worship him. Then they opened their treasures, and they presented gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh, and having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child and kill him. So they got up, they took the child and his mother during the night, and they left for Egypt. What a great part of the Christmas story. You see, I, I guess for the, the like convenience of the narr- the, like, the nativity scene, we just mash it all together. We're like, there was Mary looking beautiful because she just had a baby, and that's what happens right after you have babies, just glowing and... Clean. There, there was like Joseph. Think of this, Joseph a carpenter, and he didn't even get to make the baby's crib. Like the one he's like the one thing I could have done. And instead they had the baby in like a, a manger, like a food trough for animals. And then you got animals around with animals comes, you know what? And so it's smelly in there. And then the first people that God sends to come and in, in, in see Jesus are shepherds, and they didn't bring Purell. and so it was like nasty and dirty and and then we we're like, oh, and then the Magi showed up, like on camels, right? They all showed up on camels, and there was three of them. History is like giving them names. that It's not in the Bible. It's like Malchiar and Balthazar and Caspar who came from different regions. It's probably not the case at all. They were all in a crew. But they came on camels or elephants or whatever the nativity scene requires, and then they showed up, and they all bowed down, right? Shepherds on one side, orderly. Wise men on the other side, orderly. For some reason, Joseph just chilling against his staff, even though he wasn't a shepherd. And Mary just looking so good and so peaceful. Because she's like a teenage first-time mom, right? Peaceful. It's chill. And, and they're in a manger. It's beautiful. And there's a star above. It's great. It's just probably not what it looked like or felt like at all. You see, Mary and Joseph were newlyweds with a new baby. They were so impoverished that the Bible says the what they came to the temple with to sacrifice, there was always a sacrifice made after a baby who was born. They brought two turtle doves. We wrote a song about it, two turtle doves. They brought turtle doves, which was the, the symbol of people living in the most abject poverty. They were completely impoverished young couple with a new baby in, in a town they weren't that comfortable in where, where Joseph wouldn't have had clientele to even be a carpenter. And then they tried to find a room. There wasn't one, so they were in a barn. This was a bad day. Like this was not your ideal start to, to your new life together. And then some time passed. We don't know exactly, but it could be about two years if it says Herod asked them secretly when the baby came, and then afterwards he made this order that every child under two should be murdered. So probably within months or maybe two years, they've been in this town of Bethlehem, which is not impressive. Bethlehem is built like entirely out of limestone, and most of the houses in that time were just holes in the side of a mountain. So they, they live in a cave made of limestone, with their newborn baby in complete poverty as newlyweds. Like it's not the prettiest scene. But into this comes a group of kingmakers. History says that where the magi went, there would have been as many as a thousand soldiers who would roll with them. So we're talking like this whole grip of like rich, powerful, mystical, wizard type advisors who were kingmakers. They come rolling up into Jerusalem to the house of the paranoid King Herod. Like, we've come here to worship the new king. Where's he at? And Herod's like, I I don't know about a new king. Calls together the teachers of the law. They're like, I think the king, like the Messiah, if that's what they're talking about, was probably from Bethlehem, so he sends them to go check this out. All that to say, I believe that those magi were God-seeking people. Had a revelation... In the sky, whatever that was like, a bright light, a comet, a meteor, a star, I don't know, but a divine revelation from God. And Daniel, who had once instilled a belief system, he was the greatest of their, 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 their kind. He's like, one day you're going to see this and it's going to mean that. For whatever reason, when the time came, they went to find Jesus. And now I'm going to give you my four points, okay? Because they're quick. It's like opening up a gift. Lots of preparation just for this thing. Four, four thoughts about giving. I want us to be better givers. I want to be a better giver. I, I see the nature of God continually through Scripture. He's generous, and He's kind, and He's loving, and He gives. And then I see in the New Testament like, things like this, like God loves a cheerful giver. In other words, I want you just to, to want to become like me. I'm not going to force this upon you. The day you become a Christian, God doesn't like, force-feed generosity down your throat and say, now you better be generous. He's saying, like, I love a cheerful giver. Who's growing up to becoming more like me? I think giving ha- has these four thoughts around it. Number one, like when we give, it speaks to the excellence of our spirit. To choose to give a gift is about the excellence of my spirit. It's not necessarily about the excellence of the recipient. You know, sometimes we decide, do I want to give that person a gift? Like, did they give me one? Did did they give me a nice one? If I give them a gift, are they going to reciprocate with something better? Like, like, we think it's about their excellence. Like, I shouldn't go too, too extravagant because I don't think they deserve it. But, but, but gifts given are not about what's deserved on the other side. It's about the excellence of our spirit. I see within this group of magi this personal excellence that they had. They're like, I've seen a revelation. i got to be there. Like, it would be possible for them to say, wow, that's different. And then say, but, but there'll be such a sacrifice along the way. Why would I sacrifice? I don't even know what's on the other side not my king. Like, like I'm not, I'm not a Jew. It's not, it's not anything to do with me, but they had an excellence within their spirit. They had an excellence within themselves that said, I want to be part of that. And I wonder for you and I, as we choose how we will give gifts this year, as we choose how we will prioritize the mission of God, even in the heart for the house offering, as we make little micro decisions every day about the the people we will be, generosity speaks to the excellence that's inside of us number 2 generosity it speaks to the expectation that we have generosity is not an expectation that's placed upon us it's about our expectation you see the, these these magi they said on the other side of this journey which would have been maybe 5 or 600 miles on either foot or camel or horseback like on the other side of this journey there is a king we're going to find we have big expectations of what we're going to find. So much so that the gifts they brought were gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold, a gift suited for a king. Gold was the type of, of element that only kingly royal things would say. Like on the other side of this, we're, go- we're about to find a king. This is not just a, a little errand we're running. We are going to go meet a king. They had expectation within their heart. Frankincense was a type of perfume and incense used only for the worship of the gods. Like they're like, we're going to find a deity on the other side of this. It's going to be a king who's God. We're going to go find something godly about to take place. Something spiritual is happening. They had expectation in their hearts. And then myrrh, myrrh was like the most mortal gift you could give. It was a nice perfume, but it was said to to take care of the odors of the common day. Great, great little uh, infomercial for myrrh. Like they would, they would put it on their laundry. Like, man, this, like, oh my goodness. Like their gym bag, throw a little myrrh in there. Like try to take some of the odors of life. They used myrrh at people's burials to take away the smell that would take place in a tomb. So they brought with them a gift that was for a king who would be a god man. Like that's some expectation they had in the preparation of their gift. And sometimes when we, we give a gift, we're like, ah, well, yeah, what do I have around the house that I don't like? Oh, yeah, I got that gift that I don't want that I'll just re-gift to someone. Like, you know what I'm saying? Sometimes the way we give is this compelled expectation. Ah, I probably should bring a gift. I don't want to. What's the cheapest thing I can do? But, but there's something about giving with expectation. Giving with a heart of expectation. Well, I, I see it just all the way throughout Scripture, this expectation. In the way we give. Like like Paul would even say this. Like when you give, give with like not because you're compelled to, but because you want to. God loves a cheerful giver. Give what you've already decided in your heart to give. And just remember, when you give, it's like sowing a seed. And when what you sow, you reap. So when you give things, it's not like what you're losing, you're just investing into a great future. So give with this expectation, give with excitement if that's true and that's how god watches over his people that's true of every generous interaction that we'll ever have with people that god will supply for our needs the bible says seed for the sower and bread to eat i want to give with more expectation i want to actually take the time to be expectant. another reason why i do all my shopping on december 23rd i just like to take a lot of time to expect some stuff third thing is that, that, that giving does giving creates a shared experience Imagine that, the Magi, they show up, they get into this little cave cut in the side of limestone. They're like, oh, wow, you guys are young parents. Where's your furniture? Ah, we don't have any. Like, well, we we got something for you. If we could, And it says they bowed down and they worshiped him. The the word used meant they would have actually probably like kissed his feet. Imagine, he's like maybe a two-year-old. They're like, oh, man, guys. Remember like hundreds of years ago, Daniel, who was and he said there was a king. This is it. it. How do we know there was like a star from heaven? This is crazy. We get to be here. What an honor. Hey, guys, bring bring the stuff. Bring the stuff we prepared. Imagine that like there's something holy that's taking place in this moment. And I think sometimes we show up to these holy moments and we're unprepared, but not these guys because they were excellent because they had expectation. When they showed up, they shared an experience. They say, "We, we got some stuff for you. Hey, you young, newlywed parents who are freaking out right now, we got some stuff for you. Here's gold. How about that? we got some frankincense. You've never smelt this before. Give that a smell. Myrrh, you can't even afford myrrh. You just live in the normal odors of life. But, hey, we just want to help you out here. Check this out. We have prepared for you. We love you. We honor you. And this baby, he's the king of kings. Like it's been revealed in the in the sky, and we get to share this moment. What an honor! Thank, they share an experience. Same happens when we give a gift, isn't it? Hey, I got this for you. I saw it and I thought of you. I like I like saying things. Speak to me. I walk into a store. I'm like, no, 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 no. Yep. I think it's what God does, right? He's like, okay, what do people need? Perspective. Yep. Power. Mm-hmm. Provision. Oh, and peace. I see. Yep. Got it. Exactly what people need. When I send it in the person of Jesus. So this, this experience takes place. And then fourthly, when you give a gift, it actually extends beyond that moment of experience. You see, the next day, an angel appears to Joseph, says, Joseph, "I, I like I know you already are unemployed, trying to raise God as a child, like no pressure, but, but there's like a genocide coming to you, your community. You need to get... Get Jesus out of here. You need to go right now. Like, like moments before that took place, they just came into incredible amounts of income. Up until that moment, they had nothing. Because of the gift that was given, they had all they needed, enough to have sustained them on their trip and to sustain them in a foreign land where they would not have been welcome. Like how good is God? How incredible is generosity? Those magi, like they, they, they wouldn't have even known in that moment The provision that they they allowed, the provision they provided. Could that be true of us too, that we can give a gift, not even knowing what God will do with it, and then look back later and say, wow, oh, wow, God used me in a small way to do something big. Wow. See, John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world. Because we're excellent? No, because he's excellent. His love. His love was what brought a gift that he gave his only son. What expectation God had. He said, I'm going to give my very best. I'm not going to give you the leftovers of heaven. I'm going to give you the the darling of heaven. The greatest gift of heaven. I'm going to give my son. That whoever believes or shares an experience with the son. That the moment the gift is given, there's a shared experience. Belief. Jesus said, like if the Bible says, if we confess with our heart and believe, then we are saved. The shared experience will not perish, but have everlasting life or all that they need, extending way beyond that moment of experience into eternity. See, that's the generosity of God. I don't know if you, all want to be more like God in the way that I give. Let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you for this group of people under the sound of my voice, those sitting in the room, those listening on a, a podcast later. I pray right now that you'd stir up generosity in our hearts, stir up a thank you, a gratitude within our hearts, understanding this crazy gift of life we've been Given. For you so love the world, how excellent you are, that you gave your son the greatest expectation that whoever believes and experiences you wouldn't perish, but live eternally with provision extending way beyond that moment of experience. We thank you for that. I ask right now that we, this Christmas season, would experience all that you intended for us to experience in Jesus, perspective and power and provision and peace. We thank you that you are still on the throne. That of the rule of your government and peace, there will be no end. It continues to extend even here. I thank you that, that king kingmakers would be notified by a revelation in the, the heavens to come and crown a new king. And I think of those of us who are sitting here today, we have this authority as kingmakers to determine what, who will be the king of our heart who will be the king of our life, who will be the ruler of our, our life. And today, our heart is that you would be the king of our life, Lord, that you would rule supreme, that you would be Lord. We hope that you enjoyed this edition of the Vivid Church podcast. For more information about Vivid Church, check out our website at www.vivid.church Or look us up on Instagram at vivid.church. Have the best day.